Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. How about a monster show on tap? And we believe that there won't be any severe weather issues like there might have been earlier in the week. With Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. Caleb held it down first day of the week because, man, some of East Tennessee got pretty got hit pretty hard. Caleb, I don't know about you, but we had some branches down and a tree down in the neighborhood, so... It was uh, it was something special to behold, but uh, not as bad as when I had three trees fall on my house, car, and work shed all in one day. That was the really bad storm that hit uh, Chattanooga, I guess, a couple of years ago. But it been about three, four years ago. So first of all, let's start off and say we hope you are safe, you and yours, as I know some people had some storm issues around the area. Today on the program... The ball is number 10 in the coaches poll. Too high, too low, we shall discuss. Also, today's tough question, the SEC. Are they in big trouble if they don't make a move with conference realignment? Joe Milton, ranked number 20 in the ranking of Power 5 quarterbacks. And also, a little offensive line rotation based off what I am hearing. And I know Caleb dug into that some yesterday, but with some information I think I can provide, we'll get an idea of where Tennessee's offensive line is. It's not great in preseason camp, but certainly not the uh, end of the world. I just think they're a little unsettled at the backup tackle position, especially at right. Caleb Calhoun, before we get to a very special guest, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, we, we we had storms here yesterday, too, but I entertained myself just watching that Montgomery, Alabama brawl on Twitter. I don't know if anybody saw that yesterday. It's the best thing ever on social media. <laughs> I haven't heard of that yet, but I've seen it. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, we, we it is weird when you suddenly don't have any way to consume content or entertainment, uh, whatever you call it. So I'm not one to save one of my phones. So yesterday was a weird day. So I have not got blown away. Uh, hit the like button. We can uh, certainly appreciate that. Subscribe if you haven't. D says, good morning, guys. Let's see if Dave can hang with Caleb today. I could not. I could not yesterday because of technical difficulties. And the funniest thing is with this video aspect, you're sitting there wondering why Caleb is not moving. And then you realize it's not him that's frozen. It's you that is indeed frozen. So let's, uh, we've got a very special guest here. John Adams uh, scheduled to join us from time to time, especially on Tuesdays. I think we have John, but I don't see his beautiful face quite yet. John, do you have the ability to turn on your camera? Is that something that the power has robbed you of, or can you do that? There he is. Can we actually hear him too? And look at he's centering himself. He's like the Mark Packer of digital broadcasting. We can't hear you at this point, but we're halfway there. We can see you. So we'll work on a little microphone magic and then we'll We'll have it taken care of. I'm sure John will be able to get there. Make sure the microphone's clicked on, John. We have been down that path before. It's on. There we go. It's my guy, John Adams, joining us on a Tuesday. And he's got a little bit of a Bill Walton shirt on. Were you ever a deadhead? Did you ever tour around with the Grateful Dead there, John? No, there were sometimes I wished I were dead, but I was never a deadhead. (laughs) The 30 seconds ago while you're trying to get your camera on. No, not then. John, uh, we, we appreciate the time. Hope to make it a regular thing. Uh, t- talk to us, though, about the beginning before we get into Tennessee being top 20 or uh, t- number 10 and Joe Milton being top 20 in uh, quarterback rankings. Those are some topics I want to throw at you today. But first, kind of your thoughts of fall camp it's tough to glean a lot as much as camp is closed nowadays but what have you gleaned in the opening week or so uh well uh everybody's happy uh everybody's optimistic and that's kind of a universal thing this time of year if your team reports for a preseason camp and then goes through media interviews and and even one player says you know I don't think we're going to be that good this year. Maybe we'll get better, but I'm just not really sure. If you get that, you've got problems. Tennessee doesn't have that. Uh, I I really enjoyed listening to offensive coordinator Joe Halsley. Uh, He's a really bright guy, very articulate. He can explain things really well. Not all coaches can. Uh, Josh Heupel doesn't give you much. That's just not his style. Uh, but I think Halsley compliments uh, Heupel well. He, they've been together for about eight years, I think. He was the uh, uh, quarterback's coach. So a lot of things he said, you don't, know how much, you don't know how much of this is preseason bluster and how much of it is, is very real. But I, I think it's uh, elevated my opinion of Joe Milton. Um, they have a lot of confidence in this guy. And when Joe Halsley explains why it makes sense, uh, I've changed my opinion of Joe Milton. Uh, I changed my opinion after the, uh, after the orange bowl last season. So I think it's uh, to give a little background, you were kind of in that group 
that the play against Ole Miss when he jumped out of bounds was just so bad that it was really tough for you to move on from, which I can completely understand. Is that is that safe to say? Yeah, if I'd have been the coach, I would never want have wanted to look at him again. <laughs> you can keep your scholarship, but just don't come around me. It would have been that kind of deal. Uh, no, that was a that was just an awful play. I don't understand to this day why he did it, uh, but um, since then, uh, the way he improved last year, uh, and even his in interviews. He seems different than he did uh, two years ago when we first interviewed him after he had transferred from uh, Michigan. And he was ordained as a starting quarterback at that time, lost the job. But he speaks with uh, confidence. I think he's very comfortable in this offense. I think it's very important to keep an open mind when you're judging teams or players. I try to do that. I did that with uh, Joe Milton, in my opinion, changed for the better. And before we get to Caleb Calhoun, uh, Jacob Warren, what do people need to do? What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. He does. All right, there you go, Caleb. What do you got for John Adams on this uh, Tuesday? So, John, uh, you brought up Joe Milton, and 247 Sports' Clint Brewster did a ranking of all Power 5 quarterbacks going into this year, and he's got Joe Milton down at number 20. And I feel like nobody knows what to make of Joe Milton at this point because I've heard Heisman talk in some instances. And then I hear he's number 20 on just power five quarterbacks. I talked about this yesterday. He wasn't even a top 50 player according to PFF. Do you? Is this one of the most unsure scenarios you've ever seen surrounding a quarterback at Tennessee going into a year? Yeah, I think you've got a lot of wild predictions on Joe Milton. And part of it, some people that are very high on Joe Milton, I think a factor in that is he's, he's really a football oddity the way he can throw the ball. I mean, if you've got a guy you think can throw it over the Empire State Building, that turns heads. And just his sheer arm strength wins, uh, wins over some people. So I also think that Orange Bowl, that was a pretty good Clemson team, not a great Clemson team, but that performance – under pressure, um, was boosted his stock very much. And then you have people that are still, I hear this from fans. It's really not any different from fans than it is from quote experts. Uh, it's, they just said, well, I, I know he's got talent. I hope he could do it, but I'm still not quite sure till I watch him, watch him play this season. So there is a, a twinge of uncertainty involving him. No, I, I think there is. And I don't know that that goes away until he gets the first big win or he quarterbacks the first big loss. But frankly, I think a lot of people that are there in the middle that are hoping the best for Joe Milton deep down a little bit want to see uh, Nico as well. I was taken away. You mentioned Joey Halsey's comments, and then I want to get to uh, what the H brought to you by Zen Sports. But you mentioned Joey Halsey's comments, and you came away with one thing. I came away with another, that he, th he thinks that Nico Iamaleva is ready to play, ready to start the season if something were to happen with Joe Milton. I know you were at the, the press conference whenever they brought out uh, Joey. I guess that was last week. 
did you come away with that aspect of it all that Nico was surprisingly ready to go if they needed him? Uh, yes, uh, they talked more about his maturity than they did the physical skills. And not just the coaches, the players, the teammates. I think they were expecting one thing and they got another. I think they're expecting a guy, the million-dollar bonus baby comes in. Hey, guys, I'm ready to win the Heisman. Help me out a little bit and I'll do the rest. No, they got just the opposite. Very low-key guy. Uh, when you, he's very comfortable talking to the media and he, he talks to the media as though he's just talking to somebody he just met. He doesn't, he's, it's not as though he's trying to perform and look good for the media. This is enhancing his brand, of course. No, it's just more of a conversational approach. He's not psyching himself up for this venture. He's just being himself. I thought that was interesting. And they have, Players and coaches, Halsley in particular, talked about his calmness. Uh, again, like Joe Milton, he still has to do it in games. He's not a big, thick guy. And that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, you look at Joe Milton, he is a pretty thick guy. He's huge. And Iamalava is tall, but he's not. he doesn't have that thickness. You give him uh, just one year in a college weight room, and you'll you'll see some you'll see him develop. I remember how thin Peyton Manning was when he showed up, really thin, and, and so and he became a starter before the season was done. It's not something you can't overcome, but you wonder about that in going through a twelve game season. Yep, uh, I agree. Casey Clawson, I, I still remember his pro day. Uh, Scout said to me the worst mistake he ever made was taking off his shirt. He never got a lot bigger, and he was able to he was able to to be a, a highly regarded quarterback in the SEC and and beyond. Uh, let's get to what the H and that has to do with Joe Milton. It's brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports is the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get, and with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with code HOOKED. That's right, HOOKED, unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning, and with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that, you can refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards to Zen Sports bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. And that leads us to what the H? What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. So usually when we ask what the age, Caleb and I have a really strong direction that we want to go. So, for instance, a good what the age would be, why is Joe Milton considered the best quarterback in the nation or the 55th uh, best quarterback in the nation? But here we're sitting at 20, and, John, I want to kind of ask you, and I want to ask Caleb the same thing. What the age? Should we be taken aback that he's among the top 20 with his limited play? Or should it be, what the H? He should be higher. He played well against Clemson, and he played, well, well against Vanderbilt. 
but he's had other times where he's played well and he has all the ability in the world. So should he be higher? So how does what the H in honor of the late Norm McDonald, how does it strike you first, John? Well, again, there's just ambivalence about Joe Milton because he hasn't done it that often. He's just, he's only has uh, four starts. Well, no, I don't, I don't remember how many games he started at Michigan, but he's lost two starting jobs in his career. And uh, he's had four starts at Tennessee, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, and the Clemson game is a big plus for him. But there's there's just enough uncertainty where I think if you put him in the top 10, I would be surprised at that. I'm not saying he won't be in the top 10. I'm just saying based on what we've seen, I guess top 20 is about, is about right. There are a lot of experienced quarterbacks and a lot of Court of experienced quarterbacks in offensive systems that produce big numbers. And so you, when you think about that in the whole country, being in the top 20 is pretty good based on his resume so far. But one thing I think is very important when you look at Joe Milton and how good he might be, you've got to look at Josh Heupel's track record. Uh, he's one of the best offensive coaches in the country. He may be the best. Well, let me ask you both this. Caleb, let me start with you. Where would you have Joe Milton ranked in the SEC, which I think we would all agree is a down year in quarterbacks? Yeah, and I this list has Joe Milton sixth, sixth among SEC quarterbacks. For, the, for context, you say it's down. No SEC quarterbacks are top five. Jane Daniels comes in the highest at number seven. Wow. And then Joe Milton is sixth at number 20. So there's six SEC quarterbacks in there. But if you're going based on production, looking at the quarterbacks ahead of him, can't argue with Jaden Daniels. I can't argue with Devin Leary at Kentucky. I can't argue with Spencer Rattler right now. I can't argue Will Rogers at Mississippi State, and I can't argue K.J. Jefferson. The only t- player that I would consider putting him ahead of is Will Rogers because I haven't seen Will Rogers without Mike Leach coaching him. But outside of that, I got to agree. And, John, to your point about him losing two starting jobs, I talked about this yesterday. I, I – I, have very tight DMV connections, obviously, and a lot of friends who went to Virginia Tech. Ask Virginia Tech fans about Hendon Hooker right when he first left for Tennessee. They were not happy to lose him, and they wanted Justin Fuente fired. Ask Michigan fans about losing Joe Milton to Tennessee. They did not care. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a good point. And when you you look at the SEC quarterbacks, uh, I'm not sold on Devin Leary. Again, there's some uncertainty about him. He was injured last year. He had a great year in 21, put up really big numbers. He did it in the ACC, not the SEC. So that's a question there about him. K.J. Jefferson, uh, Tim Tebow-like runner, can make big plays. I like him, but I don't know. I'm not sold on his throwing ability, in part because I don't know about Arkansas's receiving core. It, It doesn't dazzle me. So in Will Rogers, uh, fish out of water. He he grew up in this system. He he grew up in the air raid. That's what he played in high school. Uh, Will Rogers is not real mobile in the pocket. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to elude a defender or or break away when somebody has his leg in a in a vice there behind center. So I just think. Uh, when you bring that up, and I don't, I, I guess I would probably think of him as maybe if I were picking a quarterback, I would probably pick him fourth. 
But with his receiving core, and I get to have the receiving core come with him, I would rather have that that pass pass catch team than I would KJ Jefferson and his receivers. That's a that's a really good point. And I and not a knock to the the other SEC media, but don't you feel like we like uh, KJ Jefferson and Sam Pittman a little much because they're very easy to work with and affable? I feel like there's always like it reminds me of the James Franklin when he was at Vanderbilt. It's like, well, I mean, he's beating nobody, but everybody kind of likes him because man, he will he will do an interview with anybody. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, Sam Pittman's perceived quite fondly, and and that's fine when you're on the way up, uh, and and he did a great job turning Arkansas around because it was right down there in Vandy Land, and he's. He, he got it going, but I'm wondering right now if it's plateaued. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I noticed, uh, Caleb, nor you have mentioned Brady Cook of Missouri yet. Is there reason for that? We haven't mentioned Brady Cook of Missouri, but Caleb likes Missouri a little more this year than others. A little higher, oh, okay. yeah. As a matter of fact, Carson Beck is ahead of Brady Cook at Missouri, and I'm going down the list. Well, and well, he should be. <laughs> Carson Beck. I saw enough of Carson Beck to know the guy can throw the ball, and he's got really good receivers. And we know the talent surrounding him at every position at Georgia. So I don't expect him to flop. And if he does, Georgia will have put Brock Vandegrift in there. I don't think there's a big gap between those guys. The thing I wonder about that I wonder about him, Carson Beck, is. How will he handle pressure? Uh, the pressure of going for a third consecutive national title. Uh, this is historical. And he's also the pressure succeeding uh, Stetson Bennett. Uh, if Stetson Bennett was still the quarterback, I'd bet on, on Georgia winning three straight. And I would do it with great confidence. I'm not so sure now. Yeah, that moxie in the fourth quarter got pretty special as it grew throughout his career. It was kind of okay in the beginning. Then it got like, whoa, Joe Montana-esque. Um, yes. So, no, I, I don't I don't have a problem with you saying that. I'm going to make this statement. Let me start with you, Caleb. You tell me if you agree or disagree. If Joe Milton is not pushing for postseason awards, I want to remind everybody there are three in the beginning. There's three all-SEC quarterbacks, and there are two typically at the end. They're not three. He's not pushing. He's not a strong three or a, you know pushing four. Tennessee's not pushing for the college football playoff. Is that a fair statement or too simple of a statement? Now that I made it, that's absolutely <laughs> a fair statement. <laughs> <laughs> too simple is what it is. Yeah, it's real simple. Weigh in on that, Caleb. I will. I I said from the start that Josh Heupel's offense, even if you're a quarterback that's more ball control and not as efficient as Hendon Hooker, he's going to scheme. There's going to be at least three big plays you connect on in a game, and if you're a quarterback and you connect on those three big plays, they can really inflate your stats. They can be Tim Tebow throwing for 316 yards in an NFL playoff game because he connected on what three big plays in that game. Okay, so <laughs> can I retract and say if he's not? In the top two at the end of the year, Tennessee's not really pushing for a college football playoff position. If Joe Milton isn't playing that well where he's a top two quarterback in the SEC, then they're not pushing for the college football playoff. Too strong? Um, maybe a little bit. I, 
here's the thing. When you look at Josh Heupel and, and his career, he's he's been a head coach five times. Think back to all the really elite offensive coaches in college football. You know, Steve Spurrier always comes to mind. Bobby Bowden comes to mind, just to name a couple of those guys. Urban Meyer had great offenses. When did these guys ever had a, have a bad quarterback? No. I, I mean, Joe Milton might not be uh, in the running for the Heisman at the end of the season. He might not lead the SEC in passing. But in this system, and you look at the track record, you just feel like he's going to be doing pretty well, and the offense will be doing pretty well. Because the elite offensive coaches, they don't suddenly become – bad or even mediocre they're always good it goes really the range goes from good to great i think joe milton can be good i don't know that he can be great but then again uh consider the supporting cast around him yeah travis says on the message board my statement would be too strong the running backs are really good too and we are a running team just saying fair but at the end of the day at the end of the season if joe milton's not viewed as one of the top two quarterbacks in the nation i don't think this is making a push for the college football playoff tennessee number 10 in the coaches poll that leads us to four downs brought to you by andy mason and andy mason real estate.com four downs four questions Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Balls number 10 in the coaches poll. Too high, too low. We'll get that. Any teams snubbed that as well with John Adams and Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Let's go ahead and start it right now with four downs. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason. AndyMasonRealEstate.com. How about the best service and the best prices in the biz? That's what Andy Mason is all about. I'm about to make a home purchase. Andy Mason's my guy. Andy Mason, realestate.com, over 40 years of experience in his office there in North Knoxville or East Tennessee. So four downs now. Number one, what is it, Coop? Coop here, first down. All right, so that's first down. Let me ask you first, Caleb, are the balls too low at number 10 in the coaches poll before we get John's thoughts? No, you could have some teams ahead. You could say there are some teams that shouldn't be ahead of them, but they're certainly not too low at all. I I, I don't think that at all. I think there's some teams behind them that you could argue should be ahead of them. So I think they're fine at 10. John, I kind of thought 10 was a good landing space myself. I guess we're all supposed to disagree nowadays in the Skip Bayless world, but I didn't have a problem with 10 at all. Did you? I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I just went to the Skip Bayless role. Oh, no, no, I, didn't, I didn't have a problem with that at all. I think it's a little higher than I thought Tennessee would be. I would have had Tennessee in the top 10, but I rank, a, I rank Tennessee a little higher than most people. I looked at preseason magazines, uh, 12, 13. I think a lot of people view Tennessee as a top 15 team. So the coaches – said their top 10 team. I wonder if that's a respect well-earned by Josh Heupel from coaches thinking, man, I don't want to have to play against that offense. Scares me. Uh, I thought the same thing. I'll be curious if the the Associated Press, the media poll, uh, has Tennessee that high. I'm guessing it'll be maybe 12 or 13. But then again, the media's heard about 
Joe Milton's arm strength and that he can throw it through a brick wall. So maybe it's a, you know, he's a circus act. So that will attract some media attention. We'll see. Do you think he gets sick of that? No. But, you know, ask no. about how strong his arm is at any point. No, uh-uh. no, I would be like, uh, if no, I can't say that in politically correct or I'll forget that <laughs> analogy. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't think he does. Okay. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't bother me either. Second down, Coop. Cooper Mays here. Second down. Thank you. All right. So how about this? Who's ahead of Tennessee that is too high? So right now, ahead of Tennessee, if you want to look at the rankings, Georgia one, followed by Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Southern California at six, Penn State seven, Florida State eight, Clemson nine. Well, Clemson, they just beat. So that's that's going to be a hard sell for those that like comparative scores. Like straight up, they just played each other comparative scores. Yeah. Uh, you could look at it that way, uh, but I, I don't. I mean, it's a new season, a new a new team. Uh, but Clemson is one team you might look at. I kind of look at Penn State, too. I'm just – I'm never a, a real believer in Penn State. I think uh, James Franklin's a really good coach, but it's kind of like, okay, come see us after you beat Michigan and Ohio State in the same season. I, I, just, I just see it as a second-tier so I could see it stumbling somewhere else, losing to those teams and and not being in the in the top ten. When I look at that top ten, uh, the main thing that struck me, I thought LSU was too low. I think LSU is a playoff team. I think it's better than Alabama. Thank you. Caleb's a big Thank believer you. in LSU. I'm being called an LSU homer on the show, John. So, because I I think nah. thing. Well, yeah. I mean, when I start looking at LSU, it probably has more star power than just about anybody, and uh, it doesn't. And it has depth as well. Brian Kelly's done a great job filling holes with transfers. So, yeah, that's a team I look at as too low. Otherwise, I was I didn't have there was nothing awful uh, about it that really stood out to me. Other than L- I thought LSU was too low. And I still don't quite understand why people think Alabama should be better than LSU. It just doesn't make sense. It may turn out to be that, but looking at it on paper in preseason, to me, LSU is a notch above Alabama. I think this might answer the next question, but uh, third down. Well, before we get there, I just have to bring up, there is a team y'all all miss, which is Florida State has no business in the top 10. Florida State lost to Clemson last year. They didn't beat a ranked team last year outside of LSU in the opener, and they're number eight. Everybody should be upset about Florida State being a top 15 team at this moment. I could be talked into that. I also think that Penn State's a little bit high, too. But Penn State went 11-2. and two. Florida State went 10-3 and three and played the worst schedule in the history of man last year. Yeah, but it beat LSU. In the opener. By one in a fluke in Brian Kelly's first game coaching at LSU. They play that game in a month later, LSU wins by 30. But I, I just think Florida State will be better this year. I, and I think, I mean, that game, if Florida State beats, beats LSU again, then it's it's a strong candidate for the, uh, for the college football playoff. They're not going to come within three scores of LSU this year. Wow. I thought I was too high on LSU. <laughs> Jeez, you, you need to 
You need to walk around campus there in Baton Rouge. Yeah. John, I'm from Memphis. I know a lot about Mike Norvell. I'm not high on him as a coach, and I am high on LSU as a program. And for the first time in, since Nick Saban, LSU has a coach with a few brain cells. And <laughs> Ouch. Wow. A couple of those guys won national championships, too, but you're right. They weren't really bright. What down is it, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Okay, I think we kind of answered that. Who below Tennessee should be higher? You both think LSU? Well, she's ahead of Tennessee. Well, they're not below Tennessee. Oh, okay. I thought you – okay. I meant below than – anyway, go ahead. No, if if they were – if LSU were below Tennessee, if you want to play fantasy football, if LSU were below Tennessee, then I would think they should be higher. Okay. I meant below, lower <laughs> number. I misread the question. Sorry. Who that is ranked behind Tennessee – should be higher. Just the immediacy, you have Washington 11, Texas 12, Notre Dame 13, Utah 14, Oregon 15, uh, TCU 16, Kansas State 17, Oregon State 18, Oklahoma 19, North Carolina 20. There's none of those that I look at that I would push ahead of Tennessee. I'm a little surprised that uh, Notre Dame wasn't a little bit closer not because they should be, just because they're a bit of a media darling. Um, now I don't have one, guys, that's behind Tennessee that I would have appreciably higher and perhaps overtake the balls. I would probably go. I don't. I don't think I would. I wouldn't put it ahead of Tennessee, but I like Utah. Uh, it, even uh, even after what happened, I, I would think that co- Utah coaches and players from last season look back on that opener against Florida and wonder how in the world did we lose to that team? How in the world? I mean, Utah matches up well with the way Southern Cal plays. It matches up well with a lot, the way the lot of the PAC 12 teams play. It's sort of a contrarian in that league and it's got a proven track record. I could see it winning the conference. Uh, So yeah, that's the team I think, but I don't know that I would have it. Ahead of, ahead of Tennessee, but I think Florida's headed for big trouble in that in that opener. No, I agree. Anybody that you would have moved perhaps close to Tennessee or higher than than Tennessee out of the teams behind them, Caleb? I'm 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 with John Adams on this. It's 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 Utah. And Utah returns their quarterback. They've they've cost the last two years in a row, people forget this. They've won the Pac-12 title, and in the process, cost the team they beat a shot at the college football playoff. Yep. And they've been knocking on the door. They return the same quarterback. Don't be surprised if they actually get over the hump this year in a very, very lame duck, awkward Pac-12 season that's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what that's Yeah. I, I wonder about – I kind of wonder about TCU uh, – when it scored a touchdown on Georgia, I thought, man, this team could be pretty good next year, too. But then Georgia kind of ran it up, so it got out of hand. Yeah. Was that 65 to 7? But that early touchdown yeah, at that point kind of won me over. Yeah. yeah. I, I just couldn't get away from that. Yeah, this team might be pretty good next year, yeah. too. At that point, you're like Eric Ainge calling out Sanford Stadium. Fourth down, Cooper Mays. <laughs> All SEC center Cooper Mays here, fourth down. <laughs> any team snubbed? Any teams just not on the list that you would have on the list? Do you want to look at the back end of that 
Um, you've got North Carolina, Wisconsin, Ole Miss, Tulane, Texas Tech, uh, Texas A&M rounding out the top 25. I'm not even sure that I would have Texas A&M in there over South Carolina in particular. And I'm not just saying that because I know we have a lot of South Carolina viewers. And then you have University of Texas San Antonio that did pick up 59 votes. I'm just mentioning that because, of course, Tennessee plays them. So they would be 26, 27, 28. They would be 29 on this list. Florida got 63 votes, so they were behind South Carolina. So if you're looking for an SEC school that should feel snubbed, I guess it's South Carolina who is technically at 27, right? Yeah, but I don't think having South Carolina basically 27 is a snub. I mean, there's still plenty of questions about that team. Uh, You look at what it did down the stretch, it really impressed me. What it did to Tennessee, it beat Clemson. Uh, went toe-to-toe with Notre Dame, easily could have won that game. But I just don't know about its offensive line. Uh, I'm not sure about its defense. I like Spencer Rattler, and I like his receiving core. But other than that, I don't know. So I I thought that was about right. I don't think South Carolina should have a beef about that. Now, if it can protect Spencer Rattler and its defense plays pretty good, then yeah, it could make the top twenty-five. See, I'm I'm opposite with you on Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M is very talented in a number of positions or, or groups, really. Uh, secondary, defensive front. Uh, the O line was racked by injuries last year. Really, two top-flight receivers, uh, but it's dependent on maybe a freshman running back. So, I, I would have Texas A&M higher. Well, it it will be interesting, Caleb, and I don't know that you and I have discussed this particularly. Does Texas A&M have that calming effect that Tennessee had when David Cutcliffe came back that basically postponed the inevitable? Do they have that with Bobby Petrino? Now, the two individuals are very different. But does it it make things – does he simplify things offensively to to help them improve, I guess is what I'm bouncing around at. No, John and I totally disagree on this. Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher is going to be a disaster made in heaven or made in hell, excuse me. <laughs> and I do, I'm sorry. I actually, I would agree that maybe South Carolina shouldn't be top 25. I don't think Texas A&M should be. I think this is, I'm seeing Derek Dooley, Sal Sinceri right here with, with um, uh, I, I'm seeing a, a class. Or maybe, okay, put it this way. How about this? Former Dave Clawson. Dave Clawson is a good coach. Former was a good offensive mind. They did not work well together. That's what I'm seeing here because they. I, I just don't see this happening because both Petrino and Fisher are stuck in an era where they don't let quarterbacks make decisions for themselves. And so then when they call the wrong play, they come out and say, well, we just didn't execute. No, you called the wrong play. And for once in your life, Jimbo Fisher, take blame for something. And let me, let, I don't so no, I don't believe in Texas A&M. I think they're going to have one good little resurgent year and then and then fall by the wayside. But let me ask you this. So Texas A&M's 25. South Carolina, Florida, uh, Kentucky received votes. So did Arkansas, a considerable amount of votes, and you dropped down to Auburn. So if you had to replace A&M, if you had to, with either of those teams, John, who would it be? And let me get, let me get you, Caleb. Mine's South Carolina. Uh, yeah, if I had to take one team, it would be South Carolina. I don't know how in the world anybody with a, any knowledge of this uh, team picked Florida. 
to make the top 25. That's it. And other than running backs, it's got two really good running backs and maybe some good ones behind those guys. Uh, what does Florida have going for it? Graham Mertz at quarterback? Please. I, I, just, I, I don't know about its offensive line. It doesn't have the caliber of athletes it usually has on defense. This is a losing team. Top, you voted for it in the top twenty-five. Yeah, I, don't you feel guilty about that? Don't you feel stupid? <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Think about it when, when you're alone. Talk to yourself about that and say, "Why did I do that?" What's wrong with me? Yes, you're trying to meditate, and that pick keeps coming yeah. in your brain, and <laughs> you're trying to clear your head just about your breathing. But at the end of the day, you keep thinking to yourself, "I have Florida somewhere in the top 25." I'm a total loser and don't deserve to lose. <laughs> Guys, it's no SEC team that should be in over Texas A&M. It's a team Dave mentioned the best group of five team this year, and they play Tennessee, Texas, San Antonio. Utsa. Utsa. It's like Uga, except not quite. <laughs> UTSA. They get really mad if you call them Texas, San Antonio, I found on the message board, on our YouTube message board. Well, Dave, you still say Southern Cal. Like it's that the 80s. Makes, yeah, that does make them really mad too. But I say it now because they didn't accept my son. <laughs> so now, if you notice the timing of it before I went to Southern California, John, I know you got to get out of here. What all do you have going on on the worldwide interweb? How can we follow your work and uh, just absolutely throw in heat? You're ready to come back for football season. I can see it in your eyeballs. You're just fired up. Really? You saw all that? Uh, yeah, I'm at, uh, you can read me at knoxnews.com, govalsextra.com, Knoxville News Sentinel. And uh, I think I'll be writing some more college football columns, hopefully with better headlines. The headline that appeared in our paper yesterday, and I don't know where in the world this came from, uh, but the headline I wrote was changed, and it was about a column on Joe Milton. But in the headline, Right at the top of the page, it became Joe Morton. Oh, I Joe saw that. Morton. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's not. Joe Morton is not listed among America's top twenty quarterbacks this season. Uh, <laughs> the last Morton I can remember was Craig Morton, the ex-Cowboy, starting in a Super Bowl I covered. He was starting for Denver, and his knees were gone at the time. So. Uh, too tall had a good time with him. Did that make the print? Uh, was it Joe Morton in print this morning? Yesterday morning, it was Joe Morton in print. Mm, so that's... I guess Tennessee has more depth than I realized. The quarterback has <laughs> got Joe Milton, Nico Iamaleva, and it's got uh, Joe Morton. Yes, a mixture between I'm, Joe I'm Milton and Gaston Moore. He's an up-and-comer, yes, Joe Morton. But you do think Joe Milton, uh, you are high on Joe Milton. And that's for the Morton. Yes, I am. Not so high on Joe Morton. <laughs> Is he, was he Joe Morton the third? <laughs> no, I don't do thirds. I gotcha. uh, he's John Adams. Uh, we look forward to visiting with him throughout football season. We'll be back in two minutes. I'm going to tell you why Tennessee's offensive line isn't 
perfect right now, but could be. Thank you, John. Thanks, guys. Two minutes off Thug Sports. Have a good one, John. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. <laughs> it's the worst when somebody messes up your headline. We were talking to John Adams. I wanted to share my worst version of a headline, or actually a lead that got changed. But you're never supposed to change a lead. Like, I, I, Caleb and I call each other. Like, if we write something, it's like, I don't think this read, this lead reads just right. So we always call each other because you don't want to mess with a lead. And somebody messed with the lead. And I wanted to share that story, Caleb, but I couldn't because the way he rewrote it, seemed very racially insensitive. So I didn't even want to bring it up. I know you're wondering. I'll tell you off the air how it happened. But I don't even want to revisit it because it looked like I was a complete imbecile when it came to the English language. I mean, it's never going to be, I forget the headline, but this was when Arkansas was led by Houston Nutt as head coach, and they had Rob Johnson and Casey Dick as their quarterbacks. So they were oh, playing no, no, a no, team no, no. called the South Carolina Gamecocks. And I'm just, I'm just someone, someone type in all those last names. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to do without causing trouble. <laughs> so, did you like the John Adams there um, on our message board? It's 
pretty high on the balls. It's funny talking to him now because he wasn't high on Philip Fulmer, even when Philip Fulmer was having success. And I think a lot of people thought that he was just negative to get a reaction. Caleb, he wasn't. That's just how he felt. It's kind of like how you and I felt about, let's say, a different bad analogy maybe, but Les Miles and Ed Orgeron at LSU. We thought that Philip Fulmer had a lot of great things going. We we agreed on that completely, but that he maybe wasn't the greatest coach out there. Um, was he better than Jim Don and Brad Scott, the guys of his time? I don't think there's any question, but how would he have fared against the coaching staff that are out there nowadays that are led by Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, um, you, you've got a lot of really good coaching staffs. And that was one of the things that I don't think people quite understood is that, uh, you know, John, when we talk about great coaches over the history of the SEC, is Philip Fulmer going to be in that conversation? I think that's what John was kind of holding him to a standard of. He certainly, Philip Fulmer won a championship. You can't take that away from him. So that puts him as one of the better coaches in the history of college football but is elite i don't think that he is and that's what i think a lot of times john caught flack for as he looked at him you win a championship you think elite but not elite well and there's two particularly during that time that was still an era of a coach was a ball coach and what i mean by that to throw that in it's like okay if they weren't a football coach of a college team, they'd be the guy that, like, if you sent your kid to a summer camp to learn football in the middle, you know, when he was 13, they might run that summer camp. You know what I mean? They might be the guy teaching your kid the fundamentals of playing ball. That would be – that's what Phil Fulmer struck me as, a guy on the field teaching your kid the fundamentals of playing ball. But in terms of, like, drawing up anything creatively, analytically, thinking ahead of the curve, Never, I, I never considered Fulmer that. And by the way, I don't think Fulmer considered Fulmer that. He always said he preferred Jimmy's and Joe's to X's and O's. And so. So Rocky Top Tom has a strong take. Let me jump to that real quick. I'm going to put that on the board. Uh, Philip Fulmer wasted more talent than any coach we had. Think of all those extraordinarily talented teams in the top five, top 10, didn't beat Florida, just couldn't win the game. I, I really thought personally that. One of Philip Fulmer's greatest missteps, I thought there were two. I thought he lost a little bit of control of the discipline, and that showed up in the mid-2000s when players knew they could make plays and ultimately not receive tough discipline penalties if they got in trouble. The other misstep is I thought he tried to keep up with Steve Spurrier, and you're not going to keep up with Steve Spurrier scoring points. You're just not. And even if you look at what Georgia did, last year to Josh Heupel. They didn't try to keep up with scoring points. They scored points because they could, but they manned up and played good defense, especially on the at the corner position. So, Caleb, I think that was Philip Fulmer's misstep, trying to keep up, score the same amount of points that Steve Spurrier is scoring, when in reality, and you talk about Jamal Lewis, which I agree with you, Jamal Lewis should have been in that Florida game, uh, what was it, his freshman year? seven. Yeah, nice. And it was again, it was it was Mark Levine instead. But if you go back and look, I think Mark had nine carries. The whole theory, big picture, whether it's Jamal, Bo Jackson, or Mark Levine, should have been run the ball 28 times at a bare minimum or 38 times at Florida and keep their offense off, off the field, especially with very good offensive lines that could have done so. And you saw that the next year because I know Florida made a lot of mistakes in the game, but Fulmer. But because Steve. they had to, because they hadn't didn't have Peyton Manning. That's 
he should i think he should have figured that out before losing a heisman trophy we should be winner well, and also one of the underrated things that no one talks about is between 95 and 98. One of the things that's missed about some of the about the latter years of Peyton Manning was that if there were two if there were two star years of offensive line play at Tennessee's peak, it was Peyton Manning's junior and senior year. Because in 96, a lot of the offensive line from 95 was gone. That was the Bubba Miller, not Bubba Miller, um, it wasn't Bubba Miller. But either way, the Jason Lehman and those guys, you know, in 95, they had left after 95. 96 was rebuilding. And then 97 was that youthful offensive line, the Kosey Coleman people. They didn't really emerge until 98. So when you have a bad offensive line and you're facing a Bob Stoops defense with Javon Curse as your primary rusher, that's a bad combination. I I agree. I I agree with that completely. Um, I still think they could run the ball, and I think you would agree with this. They could be a little bit more balanced instead of trying to throw it around with Steve Spurrier and the offense that they had. So let me ask you this. It's a little off topic, and I want to get to the offensive line and everything else that's on the show, but how would Fulmer fare if he were in his prime? How would he fare against the coaches that are in the SEC right now? Oh, it would be disastrous because it was disastrous, and that's why he got fired. And what I mean by that is Fulmer stopped. Fulmer lost his edge. Look, let's keep this real simple. Fulmer lost his edge when now, other let me, pro- sure, let me make sure. I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me make sure we're on the same page. He's in his 40s. He's in his prime. He's hungriest. He's not letting guys get away with stuff like he did in the 2000s. It still wouldn't matter. Fulmer, yeah. Fulmer was a, again, Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's guy. You can't be that at Tennessee when Georgia and Alabama are rolling. Because guess what? You build your program. If you're Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's, you build your program with Georgia and Alabama and South Carolina talent. You can't really out-recruit those guys right now. You can't. I mean, I'm sorry. Tennessee wants to get into Georgia and win some battles. But Dave, as long as Kirby Smart's there, Georgia will always win more of the battles. That's not changing anytime soon. Alabama's always going to win more of the battles as long as Nick Saban's there for Alabama kids. So to think that you can just be better than these schools by out-recruiting them, you can't. You only got away with that in the 90s because Alabama and Georgia were down as programs. Yep. Uh, Rocky Top Tom said, I said it for decades, Fulmer rode the wave of success, which Johnny Majors laid the groundwork for. Anyone could have won a title within 10 years at UT with the pre-work Majors put in the building. I will say anyone could have had immediate success. I think, Tom, that's selling Philip Fulmer short. I mean, he recruited all those guys that won it in 98. I think that's selling him a little short. And let's be honest. Yeah, we, we've talked about some really duds as potential coaches. I mean, as it turns out, John Gruden is incredibly racist. Uh, you didn't like Greg Schiano, and there were a number of reasons why, and I get that. But if you, if you could hire if, – if Josh Heupel decided to go to the NFL and be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow, you could do a lot worse than Philip Fulmer in his prime. Do you agree with that, Caleb? Yes, I, I, but I still I, I'm sticking I'm with it. I don't think he'd necessarily win a championship against the crew he's got to go against right now. But it would be a it'd be a program that would win eight or nine games a year. Possibly, I'm still, but I don't know. I, that that's a little difficult to see. Look, because Rocky Top Tom brought up Johnny Majors, guys. The growth of Tennessee had nothing to do with Majors or Fulmer. It had everything to do with Alabama and Georgia falling off. When did Majors really get rolling? It was the 80s right after Bear Bryant retired. That's one competition he lost. When did Tennessee hit their peak of the modern era? 
1989, the year after Vince Dooley retired. It had everything to do with Vince Dooley and Bear Bryant stepping down is why Tennessee emerged in the 90s. And it it was nothing more and nothing less than that, quite honestly, because Tennessee was able to go in, and you've talked about how ahead of the curve they were in recruiting around that time. They were able to go into Georgia and Alabama and really get who they wanted from those states. The minute Mark retired at Georgia, which was 2001, and the minute Alabama hired Nick Saban in 2007, and South Carolina hired Steve Spurrier in 05, it was a wrap. Tennessee had no hope, and they kept thinking they can win by just out-recruiting people. No, you had to start thinking X's and O's and being creative at that point. And they were just so insistent, Tennessee was, that, oh, no, we're Tennessee. We can go into Georgia and get whoever we want. Well, no, that's not reality. And they had to learn that the hard way. Uh, There's a lot of truth to that. And I think that when Tennessee decided to make a hire in Dave Clawson instead of going with a very innovative coach and turning it over to them, I thought that was the death knell. I mean, that's that's when it wasn't going to happen. Uh, anymore you remember who the guy was at Tulsa was running the number one I mentioned this to you before they could have probably hired away if he wasn't scared away by the lack of control he would have because you have an offensive coach as the head coach in Philip Fulmer the guy at Tulsa that was running the number one offense for two straight years you remember that guy right oh yeah it was Gus Malzahn you could have he was an offense coordinator you could have got by the way but also brilliant offensive mind but I know you like him as a coach, and I do too. I don't think Kevin could have worked out long-term at Tennessee because Lane Kevin still was a believer in Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's. Tennessee was not going to win the Jimmy's and Joe's battles with Georgia and Alabama. They just weren't. I don't care who was – I don't care if Vince Lombardi was coaching Tennessee at the time. They weren't going to win those battles with Georgia and Alabama. Yep. All right, good stuff. Let's get into Tennessee's offensive line because this is something we're going to dive into. And if you haven't checked out Cooper Mays and his thoughts – this week on the first week of practice, you should do that on the YouTube channel. Please hit that like and subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. Make sure your notifications are turned on. So here's what we know about uh, Tennessee's offensive line right now. Cooper Mays, hands down your starter at center. Depth would probably, probably be Addison Nichols that I would think at this point. Left tackle, is going to be John Campbell Jr. as a starter. Now, it gets interesting after that in the tackle position because I think it's going to be Crawford on the right side at this point. We're very early in the camp, but from what I'm told, he's the guy there with the first team. Again, this is early. This could change, okay? We're the first week of fall camp, basically. Uh, Then you have Gerald Mincy, who is the backup at probably both tackle positions. That, to me, is a little bit of a concern because Gerald Mincy is talented enough where I think he should have grabbed one of the starting positions. So that tells me that Tennessee's coaches aren't 100% confident. Then I think you have Dane Davis that's kind of in that mix. And I've been told not to rule him out as well. So what do you think of Tennessee's uh, tackle position right now where it stands? Again, early in camp, but... Uh, how disconcerting is it that um, I really – and he may still end up doing it, but I really thought that Mincy would make a stronger push of Crawford at right tackle, but it looks like it's going to be Crawford. Your thoughts on that position and tackle in general, Caleb? Yeah, I, I think it's a concern. Largely, one, because of depth, because of what you brought up with Mincy, but two, Jeremiah Crawford's the type of guy that you're right, commands a lot of respect in the locker room. He's the fundamental – you trust him as a veteran – but he's not going to win the battles with Will Anderson on on a on a 
play-by-play basis when you face Alabama. And that, by the way, Alabama is just as loaded at edge rusher this year as they were last year. And like, that's again, he, he is a, it, you almost want to do late. It's like the quarterback that can do what he needs to do. But if it's turning into a 300 yard passing game shootout, you can't really trust him at that moment. Not that you don't like Jeremiah Crawford, but he's not, he's just not winning those battles guys. And so you wanted Mincy to emerge and he didn't. And I think that is a big concern. The lack of depth. Funny enough, I'm not as concerned about guard because I think Ollie Lane or Dane Davis. I mean, I think guard is one of those spots where, like, you know, veteran leadership and experience, you can plug a guy in in one of those areas. I mean, Jerome Carvin was that. So I think they'll be okay at guard. But, yeah, John Campbell Jr. is not as much of a concern at left tackle. I think he won the job. I don't think it was anything anybody didn't do. You can probably tell more about that than I can. But from what I understand, he just won the job straight up. Yeah, but I think they wanted him to win the job. Yeah, so okay. I think that's the way they set him up in the offseason. But I don't think there's, from what I'm told, <clears throat> any uncertainty about him winning the job. So, yes, they put him in the best race car. They put him in the best position to do that, and he's done it. You mentioned the guard position. I think Tennessee's good with Javante, uh, Javantez, excuse me, Spragans at right guard. And then at left guard, whether it's Ollie Lane, as you mentioned, or Andre Keurig who could be a guy that steps in there, or maybe Addison Nichols. You do play some at that left guard position, but I think they want to make sure he's healthy to be uh, the backup center. Because Cooper Mays, let's remember this, he's not undersized anymore, but when he was undersized, he had injury concerns. So I think that's something that you always want to be aware of. So have Addison Nichols uh, ready to go. But across the offensive line, I think, Early, you still should have questions because if you don't, you don't have depth. I think Tennessee has questions there, and it's not a great situation at right tackle like they would have drawn it up. But as far as first week done in pre preseason camp, I think Tennessee's in a good trajectory. I just can't see say that they're there yet. But in all fairness, Caleb, with Darnell Wright, we didn't know Tennessee was quote there yet he ended up being a much better player than anybody had projected i'm not trying to like toot my own horn i got a lot of things wrong last year i expected <laughs> that type of i expected that type of season from darnell right and i was touting him ahead of time and you, were not, you you had him as a first round nfl draft pick though no no not as a first round nfl draft pick but i did have him as tennessee's most valuable player last year entering last year i was very big on that i had him above hendon hooker and above I, I didn't see Jalen Hyatt. I'll be honest with you guys. I thought Jalen Hyatt was going to be a complete bust. I did not see that at all. So I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, I knew this and I'm so smart. Okay, I didn't I, – I, but I did see Darnell right because I knew that – what I had known was that they had him at left tackle the year before because they needed him at left tackle and that they moved him to right tackle not because of a need at right tackle but because that was his most natural position. So I knew that they were letting him play where he was most comfortable. This year, I'm not seeing. That. I'm not getting that same vibe. I'm getting a. We just have to fill these spots because we don't really have people who can fill them yet. Uh, Robert Rexroad asks, "Is this year's new first down rule change going to slow uh, us down?" Uh, referring to Tennessee, I don't really think so um, because it's whether or not you can make substitutions during those plays. So I think you will have a, a cumulative. Um, perhaps affect if you're only able to run 70 plays instead of 80 plays. But as far as the tempo that goes 
within a drive, it might slow slow Tennessee's opposition down a little bit where they can catch a catch a blow, catch a little bit of win. But I don't think it's going to be a huge monstrous change in the way college football looks, which college not only Tennessee fans, but college football, they don't want that, Caleb. They like the tempo. They like the way the game flows. I mean, it's it's something that you don't want to monkey around with right now. Yeah, and it's – again, this stuff is really only a factor in the final two minutes of games when you're trying to use every second. And the final two minutes, the, the clock's still going to stop. So I don't think this is as big of a deal. Look, I know Tennessee runs tempo, but Tennessee's no different than any other program in that in the middle of the first quarter, they don't care how the clock is running after they get a first down. They really don't. They just – you know, it's going to be the same tempo no matter what. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Well, and, and Tennessee, we said this last year, and they and we were right. They started to do it at the end of the season. They 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 need a couple of those four minute drills. You know, they need a couple of those to help their defense, and this might be able to do so. So Tennessee, by the way, in case you haven't heard, conference realignments all over the place. Does the SEC need to do something like now? And then the ten greatest seasons. Single seasons by a Tennessee corner, C-O-R-N-E-R, not quarter, cornerback of all time in 90 seconds. Go ahead and get on board, like, subscribe, turn those notifications on. Dante Stallworth is up. Cooper Mays is up. Jacob Warren will be up soon. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. 90 seconds in Tennessee's potential move uh, as the SEC looks around and should they add teams? Will they add teams? It's been mass chaos. 90 seconds with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off Thug Sports. Candace, I was, I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. Candace has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. All right, so big show today. We loved having John Adams on. Later in the week, it'll be Josh Ward of the Sports Animal. And then we'll have a football Friday with Fred, Fred White, by the way, John Adams with the Knoxville News Sentinel. So look forward to visiting with him from time to time throughout football season. And there is conference realignment going on. We got, 
wanted to have John on to talk about this, but it's been a crazy busy show. Thank you for all of your input. You will be able to text the show uh, here in the next couple of days, so that'll be a little bit easier for you. But we love when you weigh in on YouTube because it just gets YouTube pinging, pinging, and we love that. Uh, so go ahead and let's get your thoughts now. Uh, but let's turn to uh, realignment. So since we last spoke, here is all the craziness that has happened. And that is we left you on Friday saying a lot of this could change over the weekend. And it did. So here's essentially what we have. The very latest is the ACC is perhaps trying to go after Stanford and Cal. Uh, before that, you had Oregon and Washington join the Big Ten. Before that, you had Colorado joining the Big 12. To me, it's pretty apparent. With Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State to the Big 12, yeah. too. And I, and I was going to mention I missed some. But to me, it's pretty apparent that there's, a, there's going to be a power three, and there might be a power four group of conferences for a little bit longer, but it feels like it's going to be a power three. And it may be a couple of years because the ACC is so tied into their contracts, the individual schools, through another – how many years you might know, Caleb? It's 2036. It's insane. Yeah. So you may have a power four for a while, but it's it feels a little bit like a power three, given how I feel about the ACC. So what are your thoughts on the realignment before we get into the SEC? Should they do something, which I think you could certainly argue, but what's your take right now on what has happened in – just a matter of a week, basically, if that. I'm going to tell you why I think the ACC is looking to add Cal and Stanford more than anything. It's that I told you, uh, I think last week, and I said yesterday too, uh, that the ACC just needs one more school. Just one more ACC school needs to join the seven that want to break off, and then they can vote to kill the grant of rights agreement and to kill the payout. If the ACC can rush add Cal and Stanford, well, then all of a sudden you might need another school or two to vote to break that agreement. That's what I think is happening right now. Because I don't – look, it's very clear. Florida State wants out. We're pretty sure Clemson wants out too. I think UNC, NC State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech also want out. And so – and I think Miami wants out. I think all seven of those schools want out of the ACC right now. Let me let me take a step back and, and help me provide a little bit of perspective for the listener that might not be – familiar with the way the ACC is set up. So it's through 2036. So you can't leave without a massive financial penalty. Florida State just can't up and leave conference without a penalty that would make it undoable, uh, unwarranted, whatever the word is you want to use. But suddenly, if you don't have a conference anymore, which is what you're talking about, if you have enough teams that uh, can overturn that, then if you don't have a, con a conference, then there's no contract to be beholden to. That's essentially what they have tried to do once and what they may try to do again. So you think that they would go out and they would get Cal and Stanford just in hopes of being, we want out votes? Is that what you're implying? They get Cal and Stanford's in hopes of still existing 
when these schools leave so they can still enforce the grant of rights agreement and the contract. So the grant and the grant of rights is even worse than the contract because the payout contract, if they join, I think the SEC or the Big Ten, I think one of them might actually work with Florida State to help pay that exit fee. But the ACC can literally block them from being any tell of the games until 2026. They have the entire rights to the schools. Well, a couple of quick notes that I want to throw out there. And that is one, I said the Big Ten was absolutely idiotic for getting UCLA and Southern California. Now that they've got more Western schools, I don't think it's idiotic. I can make, I think it can make them exceptionally strong to have a Big Ten West and a Big Ten East, not like they currently have. And I think there's something to be said for that because it will limit the travel cost of, let's say, um, Southern California's women's basketball team having to go to Rutgers. There were a lot of travel arrangements that didn't make any sense. If you can limit that by having divisions, I think you're on to something. So kudos to the Big Ten for making what I thought at the time was a stupid move and actually turning it into something that I think is pretty good for them. Kudos to them. Kudos to the Big 12 for staying relevant because it looked like they were going to be the ones that imploded like the Pac-12 for a moment. But now they are relevant and they put together a pretty good conference um no grade yet for the acc because i i don't think they know how to get out of that as for the sec this latest round of realignment how would you grade what they have done to this point which is essentially stand pat after picking up oklahoma and texas and feeling really good about it they're getting enough and they're in trouble and i wrote about this yesterday they're in big trouble and let me tell you guys why we're talking about power three now. Well, Dave, in an eat or be eaten world, which I said college football is, there's not just a power three. Eventually, there's a power one because the most powerful gobbles up everybody else. And here's what's happened. And I, I, I want people to pay attention to this here. The SEC is the best product by far in college football. They have seven of the top 10 revenue producing brands, half the top 25. They are by far the best brand. It doesn't matter what the brand is if you're not getting compensated for it. And because of the Big Ten TV deal, which I have on, estimates Big Ten payouts per school for the original 16 before Oregon and Washington was 80 to 100 million. The SEC max up maxes out at 70 million with this, and they're stuck at 70 million probably for the next 10 years. Now, the Big Ten adds Oregon and Washington at a discount, meaning at least the other 16 schools are going to probably be paying out more than just 80 to 100 million. It'll, at a minimum, I think, be 90 million for the original 16. What happens when Wisconsin's bringing in 90 million from the SEC, from the Big Ten, Tennessee's bringing in 70 million from the SEC, or even Alabama's bringing in 70 million from the SEC? Guess what? That's a lot of extra cash to spend on facilities, recruiting budgets, and NIL. Wisconsin all of a sudden can go into these SEC states and start recruiting and the Big Ten brand is going to start to get better. Dave, what happens in eight years when the SEC is still stuck in this bad TV deal and the Big Ten can renegotiate again for a better TV deal and payout? You might start seeing some SEC teams take a real hard look at maybe wanting to jump to the Big Ten. And I, I, that is blasphemous and crazy to say, but I'm telling you guys this right now, if the SEC doesn't make a move soon – they could be in big, big trouble. They could be on the phone right now to get Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina to join. Well, I'm not ruling 
<clears throat> anything out, but obviously that would take a bunch of ifs where you're saying if, if the SEC had interest, if any SEC team had interest in moving from the SEC, that's a that would be a major shift. Because right now, um, unless you're just born and raised in Big Ten country, you'd rather be in the SEC if all things were equal. So I'm not I'm not willing to say that uh, SEC teams would be willing to make that jump. But I will say this, what Caleb said is within the realm of possibility because there's eventually going to be one big mega conference. And what that mega conference, the way they're going to differ from, I mean, this is going to happen. I feel very certain. The way they're going to differ is that they are going to pay their players directly. There is no way from what I'm told recently that you can govern NIL, particularly when it comes to recruiting. There's no way that I can't say, Caleb Calhoun, you are a five-star tight end. I need you in my program. I'm going to promise you um, $100 million throughout your career, and you will make that. If you show up on campus and that first payment's not made, what are you going to do? With the open transfer policy, you're going to pull uh, Jaden Rashad, and you're going to get the H out of there, right? So I have no leverage, so I can make you that promise, and if I don't come through, then it hurts me in recruiting, and I probably lose you. <clears throat> the other thing, when you talk about the difference in money, it's not just a difference of building facilities that might be ready in six, seven, eight years. It's money that can immediately go to a Dante Thornton. Um, if you if you want to pick other teams, you can. Uh, Jameer Gibbs at Alabama. And what's happening with a lot of those players is they're going to one school and they're saying, what can I get? I'm not saying Thornton or Gibbs specifically. They're going to the next school. What can I get? So <clears throat> to use Wisconsin, as you mentioned, they can get better. <clears throat> excuse me. They can get better, Caleb, a lot quickly, uh, a lot quicker than just building up facilities. They can get better by winning transfer portal battles like next year yeah and you're by the way there's a reason there's a reason wisconsin fired paul christen went after luke fickle there's a reason nebraska for matt rule you're about to see some money shelled out to get some elite coaches into these schools too which is that that's the next step in this and this is and this is why the sec has to make a move and dave by the way we talked about the acc you want to know the most valuable coveted commodity in the ACC right now program guess uh just program mm -hmm. in the ACC uh most coveted I would say is North Carolina I thought so too it's Virginia and you can Tracy Morgan that's crazy me but <laughs> it's USA Today's expenses, USA Today every year releases the college revenue expenses for programs. Virginia is the highest ranked in revenue of any school not in the SEC or Big Ten. On top of that, Virginia is the one school that the SEC or Big Ten could add that it wouldn't conflict with congruency and it would be a new market because Virginia borders Kentucky and Tennessee, so it fits in the SEC. It also borders Maryland, so it fits in the Big Ten. So all of a sudden, Virginia is the most coveted. Well, Virginia is a is an AAU school, and right now the Big Ten is more appealing because of the payout. If the SEC, if, if the AC breaks apart, Virginia is going to the Big Ten, making it even more urgent 
that the SEC get Florida State and Clemson now. And like you said, probably North Carolina. But, I mean, they've got to get those schools in. They need to lock them in just to have enough powerful schools so they can make sure they can, they have leverage the next when the next round of negotiations happen. Going back, before we get to the top uh, single seasons in Tennessee cornerback history, going back to your possibility of SEC teams wanting out because of the financial agreement, I will say this. While I'm not ruling anything out, I think the SEC has a strong enough base of teams that they won't ever have to do that. I think the Big Ten has a stronger base of teams that if somehow, some way, the SEC got leverage over them, it's going to have to be a unified group thing where like the AL and NL, which we've referenced before in the Major League Baseball, they they have to come together and say, we're going to do interleague play. So I don't think one conference is going to run it because of simple numbers. I think there are 36 to 44 teams that should be in a mega conference. And I think each one will have about half that, which will be about 16 to 18. So I'm not, I'm not saying that what you're, you're proposing can never happen, but I think both conferences have a pretty good foundation where they would be, they would have a seat at the table and not just get raided like the PAC 12 has. What if the big 10 gives calls to nine, say eight or nine of the sec teams, you know, the Tennessee's, the Florida's the, by the way, for Tennessee fans, don't worry, Tennessee. And you and I know this Dave. Tennessee's always going to be in this mix, whatever the powerful conference is, Tennessee's enough of a brand that they can yes. go to wherever conference they want. Um, but what happens if the big 10 gives calls to Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and say, Hey, you tired of this TV deal. You tired of splitting it with Vanderbilt, Missouri and Kentucky. Why don't you come to the Big Ten? I'm just saying. Just saying it's possible. I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, I mean, what you what you said earlier is 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 pretty pretty aggressive, but I'm not calling it outlandish because I'm not ruling it out at all. Um, if you haven't had a chance to take it, uh, check out our uh, Smoky Hot Takes, which are on offthehooksports.com. It's been a fantastic series that Caleb Calhoun has put together. So we've broken down some of the top players uh, and top seasons that they've had at their individual position. So we go to corner, that's C-O-R-N-E-R, cornerback today. And you've got Jonathan Wade in at number 10 back in uh, 2006. Pretty good group. Uh, that and they, before anybody asks, these are yes. corners. So if you ask for a player that's not on here because of interceptions, it's not safeties. Safeties Correct. are not part of this. That is a different list. So we got uh, Jay Wade at two th- in 2006. Um, your thoughts on how good Jonathan Wade was. You referenced this in your column, and, and I agree with it. There were some good years that were lost um, my defensive backs in the Larry Slade years. And I hate to throw one guy under the bus, but Tennessee was just in a better position, let's say in 98, when they had uh, Ramsey as, as their defensive backs coach. But but still, Jonathan Wade had a fantastic 2006 season. Yes, there were three elite cornerbacks during the Larry Slade years that, came, that started under Larry Slade and developed, I would say, which was Julian Battle, Jabari Greer, and Jonathan Wade. But Jonathan Wade was the only one who – again, wasn't fully held back. He converted from receiver and he did a really good job at Tennessee in 2006. I thought was one of their strongest players at corner. One of my regrets 
of watching Tennessee is it would have been great if you could have seen Jonathan Wade playing corner with Eric Berry backing him up at safety, but they just missed each other by a year. Yeah, they'd have been pretty darn good. Uh, and then you go back in the history books, as only Caleb Calhoun can do. Number nine, J.W. Sherrill in 1949. 1968, Jim Weatherford. Uh, Mike Jones, 1967. And then you get to – I always tell you that Johnny Jones was my favorite Tennessee player, and he was. But a guy that I liked a lot, and I don't really know why, is one of my first favorite players, was Terry McDaniel in 1987. And this is a common theme. He, he committed as a wide receiver, but he switched to cornerback. That happens a lot and happened a lot with Tennessee, whether it was receiver to defensive back or whether it was running back to um, linebacker. They wanted to get the most speed on the field. And oftentimes, especially in the, the state of Tennessee, that the best athlete played running back or quarterback in high school. So, I imagine this will be a reoccurring theme that a guy went from offense to defense. Yes, Terry McDaniel had converted from cornerback or from receiver to cornerback. Became, it kind of became a regular fixture in 1985. And we all know about the Sugar Vols that year and what they did when he got onto the field. He got on because of a lot of injuries, and which, by the way, the whole secondary was decimated by injuries before the 85 year. And then everybody who stepped in ended up being better than the players who got hurt. Sure. And McDaniel was one of those. And then, yeah, he was fringe All-American in 87, became a Pro Bowl defensive back. Great, great player for Tennessee. Yep. Uh, Deron Jenkins, same thing, 1995. Maybe gets lost a little bit for those that think of the Dwayne Goodriches of the world. The uh, Well, I mean, if you were just want to talk about secondary players, not corners, but the Fred Whites of the world, um, the Deion Grants of the world, that run of just – Julian Battle after that, those great defensive backs they had. Drawn Jenkins, when we were doing the Celebrate 98 series with Dwayne Goodrich, kind of got lost in that a little bit. But in 95, he was absolutely fantastic. He was. He was. This is one of the things that's kind of forgotten is Tennessee. One of the reasons people wonder why Tennessee, after 95, couldn't take that next step when they still had Peyton Manning the next two years was because they lost some key guys on the offensive line and in the secondary. Deron Jenkins was one of those big, big, big losses in the secondary. Had a heck of a year in 95. Honestly, should have been an All-American. Leonard Little also should have been all, an All-American in 1995. But, you know, that's a different story. <laughs> yep. Uh, Dwayne Goodrich at number four in 1998. Obviously, what he did in the national championship game against Peter Warwick was tremendous. Uh, but as a whole, I mean, he was absolutely a shutdown corner. And I think... You know, obviously, there there was the issue once he got to Dallas with the terrible tragedy that happened uh, on the side of the road. But if not, I think we're talking about him having an eight to ten year standout career at corner. I thought he was uh, one of Tennessee's best corners and was one of Tennessee's probably top five or six key players in that '98 season. Absolutely, uh, my brother pointed out to me. The other day, I never thought about this, but the two most important players in that national title game were Midwesterners, Peerless Price from Ohio and Dwayne Goodrich from Illinois. Yep. Um, but yeah, Dwayne Goodrich, he was actually good in 99, but I think he was better in 98. If you look at the numbers, he was more effective still in 98, but he was all, and we talk about the national title game and that helped put him so high because Dave, as you know, moments matter, but also just he played well throughout the year. So I, it, he was all SEC before he 
had won the defensive MVP of the 98 national title. And that puts you him up there. A uh, funny story that's on that Celebrate 98 series is he got a little banged up towards the end of that national championship game. And in jest, Philip Fulmer said, well, I guess I got you back for another year because he had the option to go pro after that year. And uh, Dwayne Goodrich said at, at one point, no, 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 I'm gone. So then you have Conrad Graham in uh, 1972 and uh, Albert Dorsey, 1967. And then the best ever, Terry Fair, in 1997. Still blows me away that Tennessee was able to do what they did in 90, 1998 without a Terry Fair, without a Peyton Manning, without a Leonard Little. They didn't just lose Peyton Manning. They lost a lot, and Terry Fair was right up there. Yes, yes, Terry Fair. I don't know how he wasn't an All-American in 97, too. But one of the reasons it doesn't blow, blow me away as much as you, you know, I talk about guys that un, that didn't get the recognition playing under Larry Slade, but then emerged in the NFL. Jabari Greer and Jonathan Wade uh, are key examples. What we find out in 97 was some of the guys that were so beloved were actually a little bit overrated, but were just really well coached. Terry Fair, one of them, if you look at his NFL career, he wasn't that great. Same with Marcus Nash on the other side at wide receiver. But that doesn't take away what they did in college for Tennessee. And what Terry Fair did for Tennessee in 1997 was absolutely incredible. And it was between him and Albert Dorsey. I got to give Dorsey a shout out because he was an All-American and he had three interceptions and a pick six against Bear Bryant in Alabama in 1967, which is one of the greatest performances by a defensive back in Tennessee history. Great stuff from the board. We love your input live with you each and every weekday at a 10 a.m. Eastern time. Hit the like and subscribe button on your way out the door and make sure you got the notifications on because Jake Warren, the ball report coming down the pike. Very shortly, as a matter of fact, this week. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.